You're listening to audio provided by Valleydale Church. To find more resources or to donate to this ministry, please check out valleydale.org. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good morning. How's everyone doing? Awesome. Well, it's an honor and a privilege to be able to open up God's Word with you this morning. Uh, I don't know if we have the picture up there this morning, but if we do, maybe not. Anybody know who this is? And it's not me. The last group asked, answered me. Um, so anyway, uh, Pete Maravich, you may know that name, also known as Pistol Pete. Uh, if you know anything about him, he played basketball at LSU, and he also played in the NBA. Actually, LSU's arena, uh, basketball arena, is called the Pete Maravich Assembly Center. If you know anything about Pistol Pete, he was passionate about basketball. He wanted to be the best basketball player in the world. He was so passionate and had a desire to be the best basketball player, he did everything he could do to be the best basketball player. He always had a basketball with him. He slept with a basketball. He would skip classes so he could go work on his basketball skills. One thing in his biography says that when it would rain and it would become a storm, he would go out in the mud and he would dribble in the mud. Because in his mind, if he could dribble into those circumstances, then it would make him a better dribbler and he could dribble under any circumstance. And if you think about that word passion that he had, just think about that word. Isn't that a good word? Don't you just love the word passion? If someone tells you that you're passionate about something, doesn't that make you feel good? Well, I guess maybe if someone told you you were passionate about being mean, maybe not. Uh, but, it, but when you hear someone tell you that, you, you just love that. So we're passionate people. We're, we're passionate about our families, our friends, our sports, our careers, our vacations. We're, we're passionate about a lot of things. And there's nothing wrong with that. Passion, I believe, is a good thing. I believe it's a gift from God. If we did not have passion, we wouldn't do anything. Uh, Johnny Hunt says this. Passion eliminates words like retreat, compromise, surrender, and half-heartedness. And so when we think about this one word, passion, this morning, I'm going to ask and answer three questions this morning. Here's question number one. What should we as Christians be passionate about? Well, I believe in order to understand, have a better understanding of what we need to be passionate about, we need to look, you've heard it read this morning, we need to look at Romans 15, verses 14 through 21. Uh, in Romans 15, this is a, uh, we believe that it's a support missionary letter that Paul wrote to um, the believers in Rome from Corinth, asking them to help him take the gospel to Spain. See, Paul had a passion and a desire to take the gospel of Jesus to where it had not been preached. And so as we look at Paul, and we're going to see two passions in this text that I believe Paul had, but I believe we as believers, we need to share with him. Here's the first one. We should be passionate about our calling. We should be passionate about our calling. Look at verses 14 through 16. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given to me, my God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. 
And so as you read this letter, you can see Paul was clearly passionate about his calling. Paul was so passionate about his calling that everywhere he went, he would tell people. In Acts 22, we see that he told them, look, I was Saul. I was a persecutor of the followers of Jesus, but God saved me. And now my calling is to take the gospel to the nations. Paul was so passionate about this calling that he would rejoice in his sufferings, literally rejoice and embrace any hard times he had because of his calling. Look at what he says in Colossians 1, 24 and 25. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake. And in my flesh, I'm filling up what is lacking in Christ's affliction for the sake of his body. That is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. See, Paul was called by God to take the gospel to the Gentiles, but he didn't start out this way. In Galatians 1, 13 and 14, this is what Paul says. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently, and I tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. So I'm currently reading a biography on Paul, and this is what I've learned about Paul. See, Paul first had a passion for Judaism, its teaching, its traditions. He was so passionate about this that he would do anything to defend it. So in the book of Acts, when Jesus sends out the, his followers to go and spread the gospel, guess what Paul's passion was? He wanted to stop the gospel, and he was going to stop it no matter what it took. We see Paul, who was Saul, come in the book of Acts in chapter 7. Stephen gives this speech, if you remember this, and the, they drag him out. They stone him. They kill him, and Paul was there. Uh, they kind of threw their coats at Paul. It was kind of like Paul approving of this uh, of death of Stephen. This caused a great persecution. The believers start to scatter, and as they scatter, what do they do? They go and spread the gospel, and guess what Paul does? It's time to stop the gospel because that, again, is what he was passionate to do. In Acts chapter 9, we see Paul, he goes to the high priest. He was so passionate about this. He goes to the high priest, and he gets an authoritative letter. He's got legal authority to stop these followers of Jesus. This was his passion. His passion, again, was to stop the spread of the gospel. Now, I want you to see what happens. This is one of my favorite parts. Saul is making his way to Damascus to stop the followers of Jesus. He's blinded by a light. He falls to the ground, and a voice comes to him, and its voice is from Jesus. And this is what it says. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The voice then goes on to say, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Jesus then tells him to enter the city and wait, and you will be told what to do. So in Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 7, we speak, see Jesus go to a man named Ananias. And he tells him he wants him to go and look for this man named Saul. Now, just imagine being Ananias, right? What do you know about Paul, Saul, right? He's, he's, uh, he doesn't like you very much. He doesn't like Jesus. He's trying to put a stop to you. So you can imagine Ananias goes to Jesus and he says, um, uh, Jesus, are, are you sure about this? Like, are you sure you got the right guy now? This guy you're talking about, he, he doesn't like me very much. He doesn't like you. He wants to stop what you're trying to preach. Are you sure you have the right guy? Well, of course, Jesus says, absolutely, I got the right guy. In chapter 9, verse 15, this is what the text says. But the Lord said to him, go, 
For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. So think about what Jesus said. Jesus says, I have chosen him. I have set him apart for a specific task. Now let me ask you this. If Jesus came right now to each and every one of us and he said, I have set you apart. I've chosen you for a specific task. I believe we would all pay attention. Well, I'm here this morning to tell you that I believe God has chosen us. He has set us apart for a specific task. So we as his followers need to pay attention. So I want you to see what Paul does. In chapter 9 of the book of Acts, verse 20, it says this. He immediately, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues. See, Paul had a new calling and a new passion. One time his calling and passion was to stop the gospel, and now his passion is to spread the gospel. But like Paul, I believe you and I, followers of Jesus, we have been set apart for, again, a specific task. God has created us. He's saved us. He's given us gifts and passions and resources in order to fulfill the commission, the command that he has given us. As disciples of Jesus, we all have been given a new call in our lives. Matthew 28, Jesus says to go and make disciples of all nations. And Acts 180 tells us to go and be his witnesses all over the world. And see, these are not suggestions. These are commands. You know, one of my favorite movies growing up was A Few Good Men. I don't know if you've seen that movie. And there's this scene at the very end of it. It's a court scene. Uh, Tom Cruise's character, he's, uh, he's interrogating. He's questioning Jack Nicholas, who's this big commanding officer. And he tells him this. He says, is it possible that as you gave the command to your commanding officer under you, that he just said, you know what, this guy is crazy. He don't know what he's talking about. I'm not going to follow it. Jack Nicholas says, no, getting really mad at this point. And he says, okay, well, let me ask you this. Is there a chance that those guys under you, that, you know, you told him, he told them, do you think there's a chance that they said, this, this is not right, you're all crazy, we're not going to follow it. And Jack Nicholas gets really mad at this point, and he says, son, let me ask you a question. He says, have you ever served in the infantry? Tom Cruise says, no, sir. He said, you ever put your life in another man's hands? No, sir. His life in yours? No, sir. He said, son, we obey commands, he says, or this, or people die. See, in the military, when a commanding officer gives an order, it is not questioned. It is not, uh, you know, not obeyed. It is obeyed. It is the law. And so here's the thing. If God Almighty, the creator of everything, if he gives us a command, do you think we can not obey it? Do you think we can even question it? As Christians, we are called to the Great Commission. The moment that you and I became a Christian is the moment that we have a new call to take the gospel to our communities, but also all over the world. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we set aside other things that God calls us to. We cannot just let those things stand in way of our new and higher calling, which is the gospel. What do I mean by that? Well, the Apostle Paul never renounced his Jewish heritage but he never let his Jewish heritage get in the way of this new and greater calling. If you go back to Galatians 1, 13 through 17, Paul starts off by telling us that he was a passionate, he had a calling for Judaism. But then he gets to verse 15 and he says this, But when he who has set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, the moment Jesus called him, Paul again had a new 
and a higher calling. See, the truth is God calls us to many things. He calls some to be doctors and lawyers and nurses and teachers and many other things. And we should be passionate about those things. We should do whatever we can to be the best because God has called us to those. But again, when the moment we became a Christian, God gave us a new and a higher calling, which is to make disciples of all nations. That should be our number one calling in life. You know, when I think about this, you know who comes to mind? Blake Prime. He's sitting right here. Uh, he, uh, he probably loves this. I'm doing it. He's not paying me to do this, if y'all are wondering. So, Blake Prime, uh, he runs, basically runs Godspeed Gym down the road. And here's the thing. If you know anything about Blake, he is passionate about fitness. God put that passion in him. But the moment that he became a Christian, he had a new and a higher calling. But he didn't set aside his passion for fitness. You know what he does? He takes his passion for fitness and he takes his passion for the gospel and he blends those together. And now he uses fitness to go and make disciples. Trust me, there are times every day where I long for Jesus to come back during those workouts. He points us to heaven every single day. So like Paul, we should embrace this new calling and have a passion to take the gospel to the world. See, this is an honor and a privilege that we get to do this. See, God doesn't need us as his followers. He chooses to use us. See, God could have done anything he wanted to do to get the gospel. He could have drove a plane and just sprayed Romans all over the sky. Or he could have shouted out John 3.16 from the sky. But he didn't do that. He chose to use me, you and me, as his vessels to take the gospel to the nations. But here's the truth. Sadly, many Christians are just not passionate about this. Or many Christians don't even know that that's our calling. Let me give you some truth statistics here. In 2018, only 51% of church members know anything about the Great Commission. Think about that. Out of the rest, only 17% have heard of it or even know what it is. In 2013, 73% of Christians say they believe that we need to share our faith. Only 73%. In the same study, only 52% of Christians stated they actually share the gospel with, with other people. In 2019, 47% of millennials agreed that it is wrong for us to share our faith with someone else. After this, these statistics, we need some good news. And here's some good news this morning. As we embrace this new calling in our lives and develop this passion for the gospel, there is nothing more satisfying in our lives if you want to experience complete joy and satisfaction, fulfill this calling in your life and go and fulfill the Great Commission. This is what Paul tells us in Philippians 3, verses 4 and 8. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul was a passionate Jewish leader, and he took his call very serious. But look at what he says in verse 7 and 8. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. Paul is saying this, that no matter how much he gained, no matter how much joy his old life brought to him, it was nothing compared to this new life, this new calling that God had put on his life. Let me give you another example of this. Let's say you're a teacher. And I know there's teachers here 
Let's say you're a teacher one day and you're in heaven and a few students come to you and they say, you know, uh, we want to thank you for all that you've done, your investment in my time. We were able to go on and do many great things because of your investment in our education. That'd make you feel good, right? Teachers get that all the time. Old students come back and tell them, you know, and it makes you feel good. But let me ask you this. What happens if that same two students come to you in heaven and they say to you, the reason why they're in heaven, now we know God saves, it's only because of God, but if they tell you the reason why they're in heaven is because you took time, you took your calling serious, you shared the gospel with them, they heard the gospel, they believed the gospel, they were saved, and they are in heaven because of what you did. Which one would make you feel better? That's what Paul is telling us in Philippians 3. So church, embrace this new calling. Not only it is a command, but it will bring you more joy in your and my life than we can ever imagine. Here's the second passionate thing we need to be passionate about, our mission. We need to be passionate about our mission. Look at verses 17 through 21. In Christ Jesus, and I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Ilkrim, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who will never understand he heard will understand. And so as we read these verses, we see that Paul was passionate about his mission. Paul was passionate about not only to take the gospel to the Gentiles, but to take the gospel to where it was not named, to go to the unreached. See, at this point, Paul had already made disciples and planted churches in places like Cyprus and Iconium, Lystra, Derby, Philippi, Corinth, and many others. But his work was not done. His passion, he had a passion to continue on to take the gospel where the gospel was not. This seems like competition for Paul. He wanted to be the first to get there. Uh, you ever seen those shows on Netflix where they have these mountain climbers? And they're, they're, they're always trying to be the first to climb this crazy mountain with no ropes or whatever it is. In my mind, these people are crazy. But that's what they want to do. They, they want to be the first. They know that they could die. They know that the risk is great. But their reward in their minds is much greater. That's what Paul is telling us right here. Paul was passionate, so passionate about this. He wanted to be the first to get there that he knew there would be risk. He knew he could die. He knew he could be persecuted. But Paul didn't care. The reward was much greater than the risk. Paul was passionate. Why was he so passionate about this? Here's why I think. Paul was so passionate about the gospel and his mission because he had experienced the gospel. He understood the gospel. He loved the gospel. And he wanted to share that experience and that love with others. Should that not what we be doing at Christians? The moment that we experience the gospel, should we not want to go and tell others about it if the gospel is so good? Remember the woman at the well in John 4, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. After Jesus had told her who he was and after she experienced who Jesus was, it said that this woman dropped everything, ran into the village. Now, at this time, she was being a, trying to be away from the people. She was trying to avoid the people. But because of Jesus, she ran into the village and she told them all that she knew about Jesus. 
And it said in that text, if you continue to read, it said the people believed because of her testimony. That is should what the gospel should do to us. We should want others to experience if it's so good news. Look what Paul says in Acts 20, 24. But I do not count my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish the course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He counted his life nothing. All he wanted to do was preach the gospel. Romans 10.1, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. In Romans 9.3, For I wish myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh now listen to that. Paul was so passionate about his mission. He was so passionate about the gospel that he was willing to give up his own salvation for the salvation of others. Have you ever thought this way? Have you ever prayed that kind of prayer? Let me ask you this. Do you, do I, us have a, this type of passion for the gospel? Raymond Lowell, the first missionary to the Muslims, he said this. I have one passion. It is he, it is he, do we have this much passion for the gospel? So we're passionate about our children wanting to be the best students, and there's nothing wrong with that. But are we passionate about teaching our children to share the gospel with their friends? We're passionate about sports. We spend lots of money. We spend many hours traveling for sports, which is nothing wrong. But do we have a passion to teach our children and our family to live on mission while we're involved in sports? Why is it that we will know our neighbors if they're Alabama or Auburn fans long before we will know if they know Jesus? We're passionate about our vacations. Again, nothing wrong with that. But are we passionate about instead of going on that family vacation, maybe we go on that mission trip to take the gospel to the nations. We're passionate maybe about social justice. We want social reform. Again, nothing is wrong with that. But are we passionate about the only true cure for racism in this world? And that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So there's nothing wrong with being passionate about these things. But if we do not have a passion to take the gospel to those who have never heard, to our neighbors, to our friends, then we are missing it, church. We do not get it. So church, let's be a church like Paul who has a passion and a desire to take the gospel to our communities and also to those who have never heard. Let's be that passionate. Here's question number two. Why should we have a passion for the gospel? Why should we have a passion about the gospel? The first one is we're commanded by God. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. Jesus did not tell us, you know, if you've got an hour lunch break, if you're bored one day, if you got a day off, then maybe would you mind, would you just please mind going and sharing the gospel? If you're just bored, you have nothing to do. No, the gospel, the great commission that God has given us is not a suggestion. It is a command. The second one is this. Think about everything we talked about last week at One Mission. We talked about things like sending church, residency, church network, partnering with other partners all over the world to share the gospel. And we celebrated last week about that. And we need to. We need to talk about those. We need to celebrate those things. But here's the thing. If we don't have a passion for the gospel, then all that is just talk and there's no action. The third one is, is this. Hell is real. Let me say that again. Hell is real, church. If heaven is so good as the Bible says it is, and if hell is so bad, then why would we want anyone to go there? I heard a pastor say this. If non-believers want to deny Jesus and go to hell, they should have to get past us to get there. 
in Luke 16, verses 19 to 31, I think gives us a glimpse of hell. In this story, there's these two men. They both die. One goes to heaven. One goes to hell. And there's this dialogue in that, verse, in that chapter of these two. The one in hell, he looks up and he sees Abraham and he's looking up into heaven. And he says this in verse 24 in Luke 16. He says this, and he called out to Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. Just, just put that image in your head. This man who's in hell forever, he's burning and he's in anguish. Some people say this is a parable, and some people say this is a real story. I don't think it matters. I think God put this story in here for a reason, and this is the reason why. God wants us to show us how bad this place is and how horrible it is, and we don't want anyone to go there. But here's the truth. If those who do not accept the gospel and put their faith in Jesus, this is the place where they will spend eternity. That's why God put this story in the Bible, to show us the horror and how horrible hell is. This is why he sends us to the nations uh, to go and share the gospel. This is why uh, we go to people that have no heard in Jesus, sorry, the people, the people that's never heard about Jesus. This is why God sends us there so that they can hear the gospel, they can believe the gospel, and they can spend eternity in heaven and not go to this horrible place. I want to be real with you this morning. I can sit up here and I can tell you all day long how bad hell is. Someone else can come up here and tell you all day long how bad hell is. But let me just tell you this, church. When people from hell tell us how bad hell is, we need to wake up. We need to listen. This man in verse 27, who's in hell, he knows he's there forever. He can never leave. It's horrible. And he looks up and he says this, Then please, Abraham, go and send people to my family and tell them the truth so they can believe the truth and they don't have to come here and be with me. That's what he is telling us in this verse as believers. He's telling us to, as the churches to go, as followers of Jesus, to go and share the gospel so that people can not be in this horrible place by hearing the gospel. That's why God put this passage in here. Hell is real. This image this, and this story should terrify us, but it also should motivate us. Here's the fourth one. There are billions of people in this world who have never heard of the name of Jesus. There are over 3 billion people who are considered unreached, which means they know have no access to the gospel. They have never heard of the name of Jesus. Just let that sink in for a minute. These people, they don't know about the only person who can save them and keep them out of this horrible place called hell. David Platt says this, these people only know enough about Jesus to condemn them to hell. See, if we don't have a passion for the gospel, then we will not have a heart to pray for the unreached, to send to the unreached, to go to the unreached. And if we don't go and they don't hear and they don't believe, then guess what? They will spend eternity in hell. There are people, billions of people, who do not know the name of Jesus. And it's up to us to send and to go and to preach so they can hear and they can believe and they can be saved. The fifth one is this. The gospel is the only way people can and will be saved. Romans 10, 14 through 16, this is what it says. How are they to believe in him who they never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? 
It is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. See, the gospel is powerful for salvation, but it can only save if it is proclaimed. And it can only proclaimed if we go, and they can only go if we send. We must have a passion for the gospel, so we will send, so we will go, we will preach. They will hear, they will believe, and they will be saved, and they don't have to go to hell forever. I heard a pastor say this, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. And here's the last one. Jesus is worth it. If the good news of the gospel is so good. And we know it is. Then why do we not want to share it? Why do we hold on to it. And not want to go share it with others. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever ate a really good burger? Come on now. I know you've ate a good burger. Or maybe you've been to a good restaurant. Or maybe you have read a good book. Or went to a great movie. What do you do when you experience that? What did you do? Well, you probably call four or five of your friends, right? Oh, you got to go eat this burger, man. It was the best burger. Or you got to go watch this movie. Or you got to go read this book. We would almost force it on them because we want them to experience the good experience that we just experienced. And so here's the point. If the gospel is much better than a burger or a movie or a book, if the gospel is the best news, then why do we call four or five people the moment we experience and tell them, almost force them to believe the gospel because it's so good? Is Jesus not worth it? And here's the third question. How do we develop a passion for the gospel? Maybe you're here this morning, you're listening to this, and you say, you know, Pat, I get it. I know we need to have a passion for the gospel. I want to have a passion for the gospel. But now you're asking, but how do I ask? How do we have a passion? How do I develop a passion? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's the question. Here's the first one, the Holy Spirit. See, as Christians, we have the Holy Spirit. We have God himself who's inside us. And you know what he wants to do? He wants to proclaim the gospel. In Acts chapter 1, as Jesus told the disciples, he, said, he gave them in Acts 1-8, he told them to go and be his witnesses. But he said this first, go back to Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. And then when the Holy Spirit comes in verse 8, he says, that's when you'll go out and be my witnesses. See, Jesus knew that they needed him. He knew that they needed his presence and his power. As you read through the book of Acts, every time you see the people and it says they were filled with the Spirit, you know what they do? They go and they proclaim the gospel. So Christians, if we allow the Spirit to lead us, He will lead us, He will empower us to go, and He will lead us to proclaim the gospel. Why? Because that's what He wants to do. We have the Spirit inside us. Second one is, is God's Word. We gave you, uh, Kurt would mention earlier, we gave you a reading plan. You know why we, one of the reasons we do that is because of this. The more we spend time in God's word, the more we know God, the closer and the deeper relationship with him, the more we spend time with him, our hearts start to sink with his. We start to love the things that he loves. We hate the things that he hates. As we read and study his word, we start to see God's heart for the nations. And that stirs our heart for the nations. And this leads us to developing a passion to pray for the nations, to go to the nations, and to take the gospel to our neighbors, our family, our friends, and take the gospel to those who have never heard. That's what happens when we read and study God's word. And so truth, the church, the truth, the church, the truth is this. If we want to be a missional church, then we must all be in the word every day. And I can promise you this, if we are not in the Word every day as a church, then we will not grow in our relationship with God, and therefore we will also not develop a passion for the gospel. That's why we must be in God's Word every day. That's why we must spend time with Him. 
is so he can grow us closer to him and he, we, he will give us a passion for the gospel. The third one is his prayer. During one mission, we had a 14-day prayer focus. We did an interactive prayer. We also gave you a prayer card. And here's the reason why we do that. Because without prayer, we will never have a passion for the gospel. And we will never have a passion to go and take the gospel to the nations. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus is about to send the 72 out. Uh, and he tells them this, before they go out, remember there's a lot of work there, there's a lot of building to hear the gospel, but Jesus says before you go out, the first thing you need to do is you need to pray. See, Jesus knew the power of prayer. He knew that uh, we needed, his people, us, we need to pray. We need to pray that God would send out laborers in the harvest. He would pray that God would change our hearts and give us a passion to take the gospel to our family, our friends, to our community. And to the nations. In Acts chapter 1, after the disciples, they come back to Jerusalem. They go into the upper room. They wait 10 days on the Holy Spirit. And you know what they did while they waited? They prayed. They prayed desperately because they knew they needed prayer. They believed in the power of prayer. And we as a church, we as believers, we need to believe in the power of prayer so I promise you this morning, if you'll take that prayer card that we gave you, if you don't have one, they're out in the lobby. We'd love for you to get one. If you'll take that prayer card and every day you flip through it and you pray for our partners, you pray for their people that they're trying to reach, the, the nations that they represent. If you pray for them, I promise you this, God will use those prayers. He will stir in your heart a heart for the nations, which means you will pray more for the nations. You will also go to the nations and you will take the gospel and have a passion to take the gospel to the nations to spread the gospel of Jesus. I promise you the Lord will do that if you'll just spend time with him in prayer. And the last one is, is community. Community. In Acts chapter 2, we see Peter preach at Pentecost. 3,000 people come to believe. They're baptized. And in verses 42 through 47, you see what I believe is a beautiful picture of true biblical community. You see people worshiping together, praying together, studying God's word together, fellowshipping together. And then it says this in the text, the Lord added to their number daily. Now, I think there's two things going on here. Here's the first one. The first one is, I believe when the world looks at true biblical community, the world wants it. They don't have this in their community. They want it. They're looking for it. They don't have what we have. Jesus says this, the world will know we are his disciples if we have love for one another. See, when the church is truly loving each other, uh, when they're loving each other, not bickering, they're, they're not, um, you know, divisive. When they're unity, they love each other. That is a powerful witness to the gospel. But on the other side, if a church is not loving each other, if there's dis divisiveness in the church, there's bickering in the church, then you know what the world sees? Something that they don't want. They see something they already have in their community. So let me ask you something this morning, church. If a non-believer was here this morning, there may be, or a non-believer comes into your life group this morning or any time, would they see a picture of the gospel through your love for each other? Or would they see something that they don't want anything to do with? The second thing I see things going on here is they were living on mission together. So I think most of the time when you see in the Bible believers living on mission, you see them doing it in community. That's why we as Valleydale, that's why we live on mission together. That's why we serve the community together. That's why we go on mission trips together. Tim Keller says this, community without missions is cancer. It's growth without a purpose. 
The truth is, church, if we want to have a passion for the gospel and a passion to take the gospel all over the world, then we must be living in true biblical community. We must be a church that loves one another, worships with one another, prays with each other, fellowships with each other, and we must be a church that lives on mission with each other. Because here's the truth. I believe that there's no greater power in this world than a community of God's people living out true biblical community. It's a powerful testimony of the gospel to a world that is desperately looking for community, hope, joy, and satisfaction. And we as believers, we have what they're looking for. And his name is Jesus. Do you remember Pistol Pete that we talked about earlier? Well, Pistol Pete, again, he was passionate about being a basketball player. Passionate about being the best basketball player in the world. But no matter how passionate he was, he was very unhappy. He was constantly searching for something to bring him joy. He thought if he could just score more points, win more games, had more money, or won a championship, he would have found this happiness, but it never came. But one day he found it. You know what it was? The gospel of Jesus Christ. In 1982, he gave his life to Jesus. And for the next number of years, he traveled all around uh, putting on basketball clinics and sharing the gospel. See, Pistol P had a calling and a mission, which was to play and be the best basketball player in the world. But the moment that he found Jesus, he had a new calling. He had a new mission. And his new calling and his new mission was the joy and happiness that he had been searching for his whole life. See, church, let's embrace and let's be passionate about our calling and our mission. Let's be passionate about the gospel of Jesus because here's the thing. There's no greater joy in this world and there is a world that is desperately looking for it. Let's be a church that is passionate about the gospel, that is passionate about our calling and is passionate about the mission that God has given us and that is to take the gospel to those who have never heard Let's pray, church. Father, I just thank you, Lord, for who you are. I, um, I just thank you, Lord, for this message this morning. I, I pray, Lord, that we would just be a church that doesn't let this message go by the wayside, Lord, that we let this message saturate into our hearts, that we would be a church that develops, Lord, stir in our heart a passion to take the gospel, not only to our community, but to all over the world, to those who have never heard the name of Jesus, Lord. Because the truth is, Lord, if Valley doesn't have a passion for it, then Valleydale will never have a passion to take the gospel, to pray for the unreached, Lord, to go to the unreached so that they can hear the gospel, believe the gospel, and be saved, Lord. Because the truth is, Lord, you teach us in your word that anyone, our family, our friends, our community, all over the world, the nations, Lord, if those who do not know the name of Jesus and call out the name of Jesus, they will not be saved and they will spend an eternity in this place called hell. And we learn tonight that that is a horrible place, a place that's forever in anguish and flame and burning. And we don't want anyone to go there. Help us not to hold on to the gospel, Lord, but help us as a church to go and to take the gospel, Lord, to those who need to hear it. And Lord, I just pray this morning that if there's anyone here, Lord, who hasn't embraced this, who hasn't had this new calling, who is not a believer, who has never accepted Jesus in their life, Lord, made him the Lord of their life, I pray, Lord, right now that you would stir in their hearts the truth of the gospel, 
of how the gospel saves, Lord. How the gospel of Jesus, he died on the cross for our sins so we can be forgiven, we can be saved, and we can be in a relationship with him. Lord, I pray if someone here this morning has not uh, doesn't know that truth, doesn't, has never embraced that truth. I pray that you would have them come down this morning, Lord. Just come down this morning. We will be here. We would love to talk to you. Please do not leave here with any questions that you have about Jesus. I pray for them this morning, Lord. I pray for those that, that are believers, Lord. I pray that you would stir in our hearts to this morning, that we would develop and have a passion to take the gospel, Lord, to our family and to our friends in our community and all over the world, Lord. I pray that you would stir in our hearts this morning, Lord. Help us to leave here, Lord, not the same as we came, Lord, with a deeper passion for the gospel. And Lord, as I stand down in front, I pray that you would stir in the hearts anyone to come down, someone to come down to hear more about Jesus, someone to come down to pray that God would give us a desire for the gospel. And as I pray all these things as Kirkwood plays, I pray that, Lord, you come in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this recording from Valleydale Church. To find more or to connect with us about what you just heard, check us out at valleydale.org.